a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Orange Curtain. Behind the Orange Curtain explores music that came from Orange County, California to influence the rest of the world, and music that made it to Orange County, California from around the world to influence those of us who lived here in the 80s. This week, we're looking at power pop in the 1980s, and bands that not only were big in the 80s, but bands that started in the 80s but their first hits wouldn't be released until 1990 and 1991. Let's talk about power pop. It's a form of pop rock based in the early music of bands such as The Who, The Beatles, The Beach Boys, and The Birds. It originated in the mid-1960s as young music fans began to rebel against the emerging pretensions of rock music and developed mainly among American musicians who came of age during the British invasion. The genre typically incorporates melodic hooks, vocal harmonies, an energetic performance, and happy-sounding music underpinned by a sense of yearning, longing, or despair. The term power pop was coined by none other than The Who's Pete Townsend in 1967 to describe their style of music. However, the term became more widely identified in subsequent artists from the 1970s who sought to revive a Beatles-style pop. The sound of the genre became more established thanks to early 1970 hits by Badfinger, The Raspberries, Todd Rundgren. Subsequent artists occasionally drew from developments such as New Wave, Punk, Glam Rock, Pub Rock, College Rock, and Neo Psychedelia. First up is an English rock band that came into prominence in the United Kingdom during the New Wave period of the late 1970s and continued recording into the 80s, 90s, and 2010s. The vast majority of their material is composed of lyrics by Chris Difford and music by Glenn Tilbrook, who are the guitarists and the vocalists of the band. The duo were hailed as the heirs to Lennon and McCartney's throne during the band's initial popularity in the late 1970s. The group formed in a suburb of London in 1974 and first broke up in 1982 and then reformed in 1985 and disbanded again in 1999. In the UK, their singles Cool for Cats, Up the Junction, and Labeled with Love were top 10 chart hits. Though not as commercially successful in the United States, Squeeze had American hits with Tempted, Hourglass, and 853-5937, and were considered a part of the second British invasion. Difford claims that in 1973, he stole 50 pence from his mother's purse to put a card in a local sweet shop window to advertise for a guitarist to join his band, although he was not actually in a band at the time. 
Tilbrook was the only person who responded to the advert. Difford and Tilbrook began writing songs together and soon added Jules Holland to keyboards and Paul Gunn to drums to form an actual band. The group performed under several names, most frequently Captain Trundlow's Sky Company or Skyco, before selecting the band name Squeeze, which was a tongue-in-cheek tribute to the Velvet Underground's oft-derided 1973 album Squeeze. Gilson Lavis replaced Gunn on drums and Harry Kakuli joined on bass in 1975. Squeeze's early career was spent around Deptford in southeast London, where they were part of a lively local music scene which included alternative TV and dire straits. Though the group was initially signed to Miles Copeland III's BTM Records, the label went under in late 1976, and so their early singles and debut EP, 1977's Packet of Three, were released on Deptford Fun City label. In the United States and Canada, the band and album were dubbed UK Squeeze, owing to legal conflicts arising to contemporary American band called Tight Squeeze. The UK was dropped for all subsequent releases. In Australia, the same name change was used due to illegal conflicts arising from an existing Sydney-based band, also called Squeeze. Albums in Australia were credited to UK Squeeze up to and including 1985's Cossie fan Tutti Frutti. The band's second album, Cool for Cats, in 1979 contained the band's two highest charting UK singles, Cool for Cats and Up the Junction both of which peaked at number two. John Bentley replaced Harry Kukuli on bass in 1979 following the release of the LP. Argie Bargie, 1980, the band's third album, was also a UK hit. It was additionally a mild breakthrough in North America as a single. Another Nail in My Heart was number 56 in Canada. And a second single, Pulling Muscles from a Shell, received airplay on U.S. rock radio stations. The video for the former was frequently shown on independent video music shows in the U.S. So let's kick off the show with three amazing songs by Squeeze. Is That Love, Black Coffee in Bed, and Pulling Muscles from a Shell. Love. 
that the finger points now is that is that love the moy 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 cool down the easy love is found now that is love the past. 
the key bands in the Los Angeles power pop explosion of the late 1970s and early 80s was 2020. They never quite scored a hit single, 
but they were a powerful draw on the West Coast. In their heyday, with their signature song, Yellow Pills, it became a cult favorite covered by a number of later power pop acts. 2020 was founded by Steve Allen and Ron Flint, two friends from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who met when they were in grade school and discovered that they both loved rock and roll, particularly British Invasion sounds, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Allen's mother suggested that the boys should form a band, and with Allen on guitar and Flint on bass, they began writing songs. The pair started playing around Tulsa around the same time as Dwight Twilley. Featuring fellow Oklahoma natives Dwight Twilley and Phil Seymour, they were enjoying a hit with the infectious I'm on Fire. And encouraged by their example, the pair began making plans to head to Los Angeles to try their luck in 1977. Allen relocated to L.A. and met up with Mike Gallo, a drummer who had also had a knack for songwriting. When Flint completed his studies at Oklahoma State University, he joined Allen in California and adopting the name 2020, they began playing as a trio. By 1978, the group had come to the attention of Greg Shaw, who was documenting the new L.A. pop scene with his label, Bomp Records. Bomp released 2020's debut single, Giving It All. The B-side was Under the Freeway, which earned enthusiastic reviews as the group worked the L.A. club circuit. 2020 expanded to a quartet with the addition of a keyboard player, and by 1979, the success of the Knack had convinced major labels that there was money to be made in the new wave of power pop. Portrait Records, a subsidiary of CBS, signed the group, and 2020 went into the studio with producer Earl Mankey, formerly of the Sparks, to cut their first full-length album. The LP, simply titled 2020, received rave reviews, but while Yellow Pills received scattered airplay on progressive outlets around the country, radio didn't embrace the single as they had with the Knack's My Sharona, doubtless due to the song's oblique drug references. And not long after its release, Mike Gallo was out of the group, replaced by Joel Teresi. When 2020 returned to the studio to record their second album, which took 15 months to record, and the resulting album, while a strong piece of work, was darker and less immediately inviting than the debut. The track Nuclear Boy received airplay on stations with new wave programming, but Portrait chose to release Strange Side of Love as the album's first single, and it failed to chart. After a tour in support of Lookout, Chris and Joel resigned from 2020, and the group parted ways with Portrait Records. Allen and Flint rebounded, hiring a new drummer, Dean Korth, and recording a third album, Sex Trap, for their own Mainway Records label in 1982. In 1983, Enigma Records reissued Sex Trap, but sales were unimpressive and the group's prospects began to dim. Allen and Flint agreed to dissolve 2020 at the end of the year. In 1995, after 2020's first two albums were reissued on CD, Allen and Flint assembled a new edition of the band and recorded the album Four Day Tornado, another album of new 2020 material. Here for you now are the two songs, Yellow Pills from the first album and Nuclear Boy from the second album. Here's 2020. One, two, one, two, three,
Nicholas Drain Lowe, born March 24, 1949, is a British singer-songwriter, musician, and producer. A noted figure in power pop and new wave, Lowe has recorded a string of well-reviewed solo albums. Along with vocals, Lowe plays guitar, bass, guitar, piano, and harmonica. He's best known for songs Cruel to Be Kind, a U.S. Top 40 single, and I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass, a U.K. Top 10 hit, as well as his production work for Elvis Costello, Graham Parker, and others. Lowe also wrote What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, a hit for Costello. He was also in Rockpile, a British rock and roll band of the late 1970s and early 1980s, noted for their strong pub rock, rockabilly, and power pop influences as a foundational influence on New Wave. The band consisted of Dave Edmonds on vocals and guitar, Nick Lowe on vocals and bass guitar, Billy Bremner on vocals and guitar, and Terry Williams on drums. Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys has described Lowe as one of his favorite lyricists. In another interview, he said that he was blown away and sent back to square one by Lowe's songwriting. And here for you now is Cruel to be Kind and Nick Lowe performing the song he wrote for Elvis Costello, Peace, Love, and Understanding.
Babjack, Daikin, and Masaros are all from Carteret, New Jersey, and graduated from Carteret High School in 1975. In 1980, they formed a band with Denizio, who was from Scotch Plains. Denizio had placed a classified ad in the Aquarian Weekly, looking for a drummer to help on a demo tape. Daikin answered it, and later introduced his schoolmates to Babjack and Masaros as well. The band's name derives from the cartoon character Yosemite Sam, who had an expression, You better say your prayers, you flea-bitten varmint. I'm gonna blow you to smithereenies. The smithereens are known for writing and playing catchy 1960s-influenced power pop. 
The group gained publicity when the single Blood and Roses came from its first album and was included in the soundtrack for Dangerously Close, and the music video got moderate rotation on MTV. Blood and Roses was also featured on the 1980s TV show Miami Vice during the episode The Savage, which aired February 6, 1987, for those who care. Along with the basic East Coast roots rock sound that owed much to musicians who inspired Denizio, including The Who, The Clash, Elvis Costello, and Nick Lowe, the Smithereens deployed a uniquely retro obsession with mod, the late British invasion pop of John's Children, and The Move, and other artifacts of 1950s and 1960s culture that lent its music substance. But Denizio stated that his single biggest influence is Buddy Holly. Listening to Buddy Holly, I rediscovered my enjoyment of simple pop structures and pretty melodies. I've always thought of him as a kindred spirit. Likewise, The Who and The Kinks were major influences on Babjack and Daikin. The title and lyrics of their song, In a Lonely Place, appear to be based in the 1950 Humphrey Bogart film of the same title because of Bogart's lines, I was born the day I met you, lived while you loved me, and died a little when we broke apart. The title and artwork for the album, Eleven, were a nod to the original 1960s Ocean Eleven film. The Smithereens starred as themselves and were featured as the entertainment in the indoor beach party scene from the trauma film Class of Newcomb High, playing the song Much Too Much. The soundtrack to the film was not released until 2014. The highest position the Smithereens album attained on the Billboard pop charts was in 1990 when Eleven peaked at number 41 on the strength of a single, A Girl Like You, which hit number 38. A Girl Like You was originally written to be the title track for the 1989 Cameron Crowe film, Say Anything. Here's two songs by the Smithereens, Blood and Roses and Wall of Sleep.
Let's Active was formed in 1981 by Mitch Easter, a guitarist and songwriter best known as a record producer, with Faye Hunter on bass, drummer Sarah Romweber, who was 17 then, and joined to form the original trio two weeks before their first live performance. The name of the group was taken from a t-shirt sold in Japan bearing an inadvertently nonsensical English phrase, a popular fashion at the time. In a 1984 interview, Hunter said, It's embarrassing for people to ask you what the name of your group is, and you don't want to say it out loud, and noted the band had been erroneously billed by promoters as Let's Dance and Less Active. The group played their first performance on November 13, 1981, at the 688 Club in Atlanta, opening for R.E.M., whose first EP, Chronic Town, was produced by Easter. He also co-produced R.E.M.'s first two albums, Murmur and Reckoning, with Don Dixon. A Foot and Cypress was their first two albums. The band was signed to IRS Records in 1983, shortly after filming the video, Every Word Means No, as guests on IRS Records presents The Cutting Edge, the label's MTV television program. According to Easter, the cheaply made Econo video was based on the band's concept of having dogs run through the set, which would make it chaos. But they couldn't get dogs, so instead they got these puppies, which changed the vibe considerably and changed the worldview of our band for all eternity because these puppies were just so adorable. The original trio of Easter Hunter and Rom Weber released the six-song EP, Afoot, on IRS in 1983. Lynn Blakey, later of Trace Chicas, joined the tour of the group in 1983. The group released the full-length Cyprus in 1984. Rom Weber quit the band during the UK tour that year, and Hunter and Easter, a couple, split up shortly afterward. However, the band was kept alive by Easter, who played as Let's Active with Hunter and two members of the Windbreakers, Jay Peck on drums and Tim Lee on keyboards, until a new permanent lineup was established. Here for you now are two songs off the first album, Every Word Means No and Waters Part. Watching.
core members, John Auer and Ken Stringfellow, who met as students at Sahom High School in Bellingham, Washington, began writing songs together in late 1986 while Ken was in school at the University of Washington. Their first public performance came as an acoustic duo that next summer while Ken was home in Bellingham. Mike Musburger and Arthur Rick Roberts joined soon after, allowing the band to play its first live shows in Seattle and Bellingham. The four members moved into a house in the University District of Seattle, where they developed many of the songs that would appear on later albums. Failure was released on vinyl near the end of 1988 on a local indie label, Pop Llama, with one song dropped. In their major label years, which is basically 1989 to 97, several major labels noticed the band early on, and in late 1989 they signed to New Geffen. They chose John Leckie to produce their first album for the label, and Dear 23 was released in August of 1990. Golden Blunders reached number 17 on the U.S. modern rock charts. Ringo Starr covered the song in his 1992 album, Time Takes Time. Upon returning from an extensive U.S. tour, the Posies thought that they were ready to record their third album. They headed to Robert Lang's studio in Shoreline, Washington, and in late 1991, they recorded many of the songs that they had been working on over the past two years. Among the recordings were three songs written, and two of them sung, by bassist Arthur Roberts. John and Ken later decided that Roberts' songs did not fit with the band and asked him to leave. The entire recording session was later scrapped and referred to by fans as the Lost Sessions. Roberts went on to front the band's Peach on Caroline Records and Sushi Robo on Pattern 25 Records. The remaining members spent the next few months developing new songs, and in early 1992 they began recording their third album with Don Fleming. After completing what they thought was their new album with the title Eclipse, Geffen sent them back to the studio in the latter part of the year to record a few hits. The lead-off track, Dream All Day, enjoyed some success on MTV and Alternative Radio becoming their biggest hit, number four on the modern rock charts. Leading the band to an extensive tour of U.S., Europe, and Japan, due in part to rumors of a breakup, Dave left the band in 1994 to join the Seattle band Flop. Here's two songs for you from the Posies, Going, Going, Gone, and dream all day.
Formed in 1985, Material Issue was the brainchild of frontman Jim Ellison, who also played guitar, sang lead vocals, and wrote most of the Material Issue songs. Ellison met Material Issue's bassist Ted Anansi while both were attending Columbia College, Chicago in 1986. Drummer Mike Zelenko was found through an ad in the Illinois Entertainer later that year. In 1987, Material Issue released an EP on their own Big Block label, so named for the big block engines of the 1970s muscle cars Ellison loved, which operated out of Ellison's bedroom at his parents' home in Addison, Illinois. In 1988, 16 Tambourines appeared on CMJ New Music Report's compilation, and CMJ referred to Material Issues music as a hooky brand of high-powered psychopop. In 1989, they released the single, Renee Remains the Same, which got heavy airplay around Chicago. Over the next two years, the band toured extensively across the Midwest and found time to record what would become their debut album, International Pop Overthrow. The album was a compilation of various demos recorded between roughly 1988 and 1991 and produced by Jeff Murphy from the Chicago area power pop band Shoes and recorded at Short Order Recorder, their studio in Zion, Illinois. In early 1991, Material Issue broke onto the national scene with their debut album, International Pop Overthrow, which sold over 300,000 copies for Mercury Records. Their debut video for the single Diane appeared on MTV's 120 Minutes in late December of 1990. IPO had an extensive national airplay with Valerie Loves Me and Diane, and music critic Jane Ha Kim declared, Simple Minds Upstaged by Material Issue. In 1992, they saw the follow-up to IPO, which is International Pop Overthrow, with Destination Universe, which was also produced by Jeff Murphy at Short Order Recorder and included a single, What Girls Want, in addition to ballads such as Next Big Thing and Everything. Material Issue continued to tour heavily across the country in support of both albums. The new album was not as well received by critics as the debut, nor did it sell as well. The band came to a tragic and sudden end when Ellison committed suicide on June 20, 1996 by carbon monoxide poisoning in his garage. No one knows for sure what compelled Ellison to end his life, but the loss of their record label in 1995 as well as an end to the long-term relationship on his 32nd birthday are likely contributors to the decision to commit suicide. A suicide note was found by police, and the contents of the note remain known only to Ellison's family. Here for you now is Material Issue performing International Pop Overthrow and Valerie Loves Me. Thank you. 
During the band's early years, its members included lead guitarist and songwriter Doug Hopkins, bass guitarist Bill Lean, Jesse Venezuela, lead vocalist at first, later rhythm guitarist and backing vocals, rhythm guitarist Richard Taylor, and Taylor's replacement Steven Severson, drummer Chris McCann, McCann's replacement Dan Henserling, and Severson's replacement Robin Wilson, rhythm guitarist at first and then later lead vocalist. The band's name comes from a photo of W.C. Fields and Kenneth Anger's infamously erroneous book, Hollywood Babylon, which bore the caption W.C. Fields with Gin Blossoms. The Gin Blossoms became well-known around the band's hometown of Tempe, Arizona. The band's frequent touring resulted in an increase in popularity. They independently recorded their first full-length album, Dusted, which was released in December of 1989. By the early 90s, Wilson and Venezuela had switched roles, with Wilson taking on lead vocal duties and Venezuela concentrating on rhythm guitar and backing vocals. Along with Lean on bass and Hopkins on lead guitar, Philip Rhodes became the new drummer after being signed to A&M Records and the band began to work on their first major label album. Initial attempts faltered and the band released an EP, Up and Crumbling, instead. The Gin Blossoms named their second album New Miserable Experience in February of 1992. While still working to complete it, founding member lead guitarist-songwriter Hopkins drank heavily and grew increasingly depressed. With the other members hesitant to fire Hopkins, A&M forcefully removed him from the band and withheld $15,000 owed to Hopkins until he agreed to sign over half of his publishing royalties and relinquish his mechanical royalties. Hopkins reluctantly agreed to these demands because of his dire financial situation. Scott Johnson was chosen by the band in December of 1992 as Hopkins' stand-in on tour and became a permanent member in 1994. New Miserable Experience became the band's breakthrough album. The first single release from the album was Hey Jealous which had been written by Hopkins. The song reached number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 4 on the Billboard's mainstream rock tracks and later went gold, largely fueling the success of New Miserable Experience. However, the achievement was overshadowed by Hopkins' suicide on December 5, 1993. The following year, another song by Hopkins, Found Out About You, also reached number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100 and climbed to number 1 on Billboard's modern rock tracks. New Miserable Experience eventually reached quadruple platinum in status. Here for you tonight are two songs, Found Out About You and Hey Jealousy.
was a member of the 1970s cult recording act, The Quick, and had released several mildly successful solo albums in the 80s. Wild and Solemn had been in the power pop quartet Great Buildings, a band that released one album for CBS in 1981 before dissolving. After establishing themselves as the Rembrandts in 1989, Solemn and Wild recorded a self-titled album, largely in Wild's home studio, from this album, the group had their first success during 1990 with Just the Way It Is Baby, which scored at number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100. The self-titled album scored number 88 on the Billboard 200. The next album, Untitled, of 1992 featured the minor successes of Johnny Have You Seen Her and Chase the Clouds Away. Another track from the album, Rolling Down the Hill, was used in the film Dumb and Dumber. I'll Be There For You was the theme of the sitcom Friends, and it reached number one on the Hot 100 Airplay chart for several weeks before being released as a single and peaking at number 17 in the U.S. Billboard chart. The single has been released in other countries, including the U.K., where it reached number three in 1995, number five in 1997. The success of Friends has caused a greater awareness of the band and led to greater sales of their record albums. The song was also featured on the Friends soundtrack album, an early previously unreleased version of I'll Be There For You with different lyrics was included on their unreleased Stuff album. Here for you now is Just The Way It Is Baby and I'll Be There For You.
While attending high school in Pleasanton, California in the early 1980s, Andy Sturmer and Roger Manning met and bonded over their love for jazz. Later in the decade, they joined Beatnik Beach, a group fronted by Chris Kettner. Sturmer was the group's drummer, singer, and songwriter, while Manning was the keyboardist. The duo soon began collaborating, with one another writing compositions that were stylistically different from the songs the band was producing at the time. As a side gig, the two also briefly wrote commercial jingles for companies such as Montana Hawk Shooting Range and Shutterbug Camera Store. In August of 1989, a year after Atlantic Records released Beatnik Beach's debut album, Manning and Sturmer left the group to continue songwriting with one another. At this juncture, they were still signed with Atlantic Records, but grew dissatisfied with the label's lack of interest for the new project. Virtually, their only advocate at the label was A&R man John S. Carter, who became their manager after he was soon dismissed from the company. Sturmer was the group's de facto leader and frontman, although Sturmer and Manning were each credited for 50% of their writing collaborations. Typically, Sturmer's contributions were musical and lyrical, while Manning's were only musical. Manning commented, Andy was perfectly capable of writing completed, finished great songs on his own. I could write lyrics, but it was a painstaking process. In Sturmer's summation, it's not collaborative on every level. I write all the lyrics, but we write the music together. The way Roger and I write is that we embellish each other's ideas like painting a picture. We grew up together and we had a lot of the same records in our collection, so we don't have to explain our offbeat ideas to each other. Jason Faulkner was the lead guitarist of The Three O'Clock, a Los Angeles-based Paisley underground band. He originally put a newspaper advertisement looking for like-minded musicians influenced by XTC, David Bowie, The Blue Nile. Manning responded to Faulkner's ad and the two met to collaborate. Nothing initially came out of the meeting, however, once Manning and Sturmer left Beatnik Beach, Manning reconnected with Faulkner to see if there was any interest in joining a new group. Faulkner was persuaded by the prospect of a major label deal. He joined the band with understanding promised by Manning without consulting Sturmer that he would be a contributing songwriter. Tensions arose immediately as Sturmer was not ready to accommodate this arrangement, while Faulkner struggled to connect with Sturmer on a personal level. Manning later called Faulkner the perfect part of the jellyfish triangle during that period of our evolution. The name, The Jellyfish, came at the suggestion of an Atlantic executive, but was initially ignored by the group. Once they finished recording their first album and had to pick a name for themselves, Sturmer decided to go with Jellyfish, for lack of any better alternative. They played their biggest show of their career in front of 72,000 people at Wembley Stadium as the first of five bands opening for In Excess. A considerable cult following began to form around The Jellyfish. Although the heavy touring schedule fatigued the group substantially, tensions also worsened among band members. Frustrated by having songwriting contributions ignored by Manning and Sturmer, Faulkner left the group after the tour. He later said, I was told that Jellyfish would be an equal three-piece with us writing and playing everything. That turned out to be a total joke. I felt like I was duped. Chris also quit the band and became a chef. Here is All I Want Is Everything and She Still Loves Him off the album Belly Button.
Blending hard rock wallop, alternative rock smarts, power pop songcraft, and punk rock urgency, Drama Rama was a band who seemed on the verge of a major commercial breakthrough several times during their 11-year career. Puzzlingly, it never arrived. Though the band developed a potent following in their native New Jersey as well as the West Coast, their almost hit Anything Anything was cited by LA's KRQ-FM, arguably America's most influential alternative rock outlet, as the most requested song in the station's history. Formed in Wayne, New Jersey by vocalist and songwriter John Eastdale in 1983, Dramarama self-released a single and a five-song EP before a French label commissioned a full-length album from the band, which recycled material from both previous releases. The result, 1985 Cinema Verite, featured Anything Anything, which began scoring airplay after the album was picked up by Chameleon Records in the United States. The group relocated to California in time for their second LP, Box Office Bomb, which earned enthusiastic reviews but not significantly greater sales. As the band was completing their fourth studio album, Vinyl, in 1991, Chameleon Records went bankrupt, and the band scrambled to come up with the cash to finish the project. The elusive major label deal finally materialized when Elektra picked up the project. However, while the success of Nirvana in 1991 would seemingly have broken open radio for bands as adventurous as Dramarama, their sound was far too far from grunge to capitalize on the new openness, and the band's 1993 album, Hi-Fi, Sci-Fi, failed to make an impact outside the band's devoted cult following. Dramarama called it a day after a farewell show at Asbury Park's The Stone Pony in 1994. Four years later, John Eastdale returned to the music business with a solo album. The group was featured in the popular VH1 reality series Bands Reunited in 2004, prompting the collective minus bassist Chris Carter to reform around material originally intended for Eastdale's solo record. Here for you now is Scenario and Anything Anything.
The Laws were an English rock band from Liverpool, originally active from 1983 to 1992, fronted by singer-songwriter and guitarist Lee Mavers. The group are best known for their hit single, There She Goes. The band was formed by Mike Badger in 1983, and Mavers joined the next year, although for most of the group's history, the frequently changing lineup revolved around the core duo of Mavers on vocals and guitar, and John Power, bass and backing vocals, along with numerous other guitarists and drummers, including Paul Hemmings, John Timo Timson, Peter Cammy Camwell, Lane Templeton, John Boo Byrne, Chris Sharrock, Barry Sutton, and Neil Mavers. After the departure of Badger in late 1986, the band signed to Go! Discs in 1987 and commenced recording their debut album following the release of the singles Way Out in 1987 and There She Goes in 1988 and Timeless Melody in 1990. And having aborted several recording sessions with different producers, the band released their debut album The Laws in 1990. To critical acclaim and modest commercial success, John Power left the Laws to form Cast, and the group entered a prolonged hiatus in 1992, which lasted almost two decades. The group later reformed briefly in the mid-90s, 2005 and 2011. However, no new recordings have been released. Here for you now is There She Goes by the Laws.
And now it's time for Crandall's Crucial Cut. This week's Crucial Cut will lead us into next week's topic. Next week's episode will look at college rock from the 1980s. Before indie or alternative, college rock was the most commonly used term for new music existing on the periphery of established trends. The term derives from student-run radio stations on college campuses of the 1980s, which picked up new waves much faster than the commercial channels. This was at the time when boundaries between mainstream and underground music were far less porous than today. Tonight we'll hear from the textbook American cult band of the 1980s, The Violent Femmes. They captured the essence of teen angst with remarkable precision, raw, and jittery. The trio's music found little commercial success, but nonetheless emerged as the soundtrack for the lives of troubled adolescents in the world over. Their self-titled 1983 debut was a blueprint for legions of sardonic alternative rockers that would follow, and they continued their blend of searing, darkly humorous lyrics and sharp-edged folk rock on other standout albums like 1991's Why Do Birds Sing? The Violent Femmes formed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the early 80s, made up of singer-guitarist Gordon Gano, bassist Brian Ritchie, and percussionist Victor De Lorenzo. After being discovered by the pretenders James Honeyman Scott while they were busking on the street, the band signed to Slash Records and issued their self-titled debut, a melodic folk-punk collection which struck an obvious chord with young listeners who felt a strong connection to bitter, frustrated songs like Blister in the Sun, Kiss Off, and Add It Up. Though Never a chart hit, the album remained a rite of passage for succeeding generations of teen outsiders, and after close to a decade in release, it finally achieved platinum status. So here is Added Up by the Violent Femmes, and so until next time, so long and farewell.
kept your eye, your eye on your son. I know you've had problems, you're not the only one. When your sugar left, you left you on the run. So mow my mama, mama, mow my mom. Take a look now at what your boy has done. He's walking around like he's number one. He went downtown and he got all my guns. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. You know you got my sympathy, but don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. You know you got my sympathy, but don't shoot, shoot, shoot that. Affairs, share a smoke, make a joke, grasp and reach for a leg of hope. Words to memorize, words hypnotize, words make my mouth exercise. Words all fail the magic prize. Nothing I can say when I'm in your thighs. Come on, my mama, mama, my mother. I would love to love you, lover. City's restless, it's ready to pounce. For ounce and more, my 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 mother. I would love to love you, love. She's restless, it's ready to pounce. Go here in your bed, love. Ounce for ounce, I've given you a decision to make, things to lose, things to take. Just as about ready to cut it up. Wait a minute, honey, I'm gonna add it up. I'm gonna add it up. 